take a minute and pray while we're still standing. God, we just want you to know that that's our, the heart, prayer of our hearts today. And as we talk about values today, we just need to we'll stop a minute. Don't want any confusion here. Our number one value is that we are building our lives on Jesus Christ. And he's our cornerstone. He's our leader. And we follow him. I pray that you would just give us courage, God. Courage as we live in a world increasingly uh, that's distant from your values and distant from the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That you would give us courage. You would give us commitment. And God, I pray that you would give us compassion. That we'd be compassionate people. And we'd be able to lead people to know Jesus as we do because of the compassion we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, have a seat. That'd be wonderful. So glad you're here today. It's wonderful to be here in every way. So today, as John said earlier, and I just prayed, we're in this series on values. And what we're doing is we're talking about who we strive to be as a church. And we have four primary values, and they are that we want to be a place where people are real and relational and that we are relevant in all we do, and that we are relentless. That's what we're going to be looking at next week. Now, for those of you who come every week, you can look on the outside of your program, and you're going to find on the tab there, you'll be able to see the values that we have. And, um, and so you can see the one right there for relevant, and that we are relevant, and we want to build a bridge between God's Word and culture. That's what we're trying to do. And so I just want to read a statement that was on the card that we had the first week. It's just kind of a reminder for all of us. Uh, and we're going to have a whole special page on our website that'll be just for the values of where this will be um, reside when this series is over. Um, but here's what it says. It says, at Twin Cities, we realize that no person, church, group, or organization is perfect. In fact... We celebrate the fact that we're a church of imperfect people where it's okay not to be okay. Over time, we've developed a set of core values that guide us in our journey to be a safe place of acceptance where people can belong. We take seriously the call to model what it looks like to be joy-filled people who are being transformed to be like Jesus in the way we approach God, life, and relationships, and then there's an invitation that goes along with that. We want you to know that when you come to Twin Cities, you can count on discovering that these values are more than just words we say. They are promises that we make to each other and to all who stop by to check us out. And today we're going to talk about this idea of being relevant. Now, this is, here's why I want to let you know why this is so important as we just jump in today. In a survey that was done of people who said they these are people who don't attend church, and they were saying why they don't attend church. Here's what they discovered. When they asked the question, why don't you attend a church, the answers were eye-opening. 74% of those who don't attend church said there was no value in attending church. 74%. 34% believed that the church had no relevance to the way they lived. So that's the reputation the church has for those who typically don't go to church. And this is why it's so important that we learn to build bridges between where we are and where people are, build bridges between what I would call the timeless word of God and then the ever-changing world of culture. The timeless word of God and the ever-changing world of culture. And what I've discovered is that, um, is that how relevant we are to culture is often determined by how we view ourselves in culture, especially as church. 
Now, I want to I'm going to list four ways. So, why don't you go ahead and grab your message notes out? They look like this. You're going to be able to follow along. We're going to list four ways that churches kind of view themselves in culture. You can follow along there. Now, I'm going to be all over the Bible today. Glad you have your Bibles today. It might be a little difficult to follow along. All the Bible verses will be here. But I just want to say is if you don't own a Bible, it's really key to us that you have one. So, we're going to give you one before you leave. So, you stop at those bookshelves right out those doors, and we want to give you a Bible. Here's four ways. Churches view themselves in culture, okay? First, some churches view themselves as being a church in culture, okay? In culture. These are churches that exist geographically within a city or a community or within culture in some way, but have little or no influence over the fabric of the culture in which they live. They just do church week in and week out. Week in and week out. They do church in a way that meets their own needs. So they are thinking only of what they need most of the time, using their own internal language that if you come in from the outside, you have no idea what it actually means, thinking only what they desire. They exist for each other, and they make little or no impact on culture. They have church services, and they have programs all designed to make them be better people and make their lives more fulfilled. Second, some churches see themselves as being a church against culture, okay? So against culture, pushing against culture. These are churches that are angry, antagonistic toward culture. They see themselves as the ones who need to posture themselves against culture, against the shifting tide of culture. Churches like this believe that they are good and culture is bad. They believe that they are right and culture is wrong. And not only wrong, but culture is evil and needs to be punished. Culture is so bad that we have to build walls or we have to erect fences to protect ourselves from its influence. Third way that some churches see themselves is they see themselves as being a church of culture, of culture. Now, these are churches who kind of, they're so interested in being relevant to culture that they lose the biblical distinctives that really, that God wants them to carry. These are churches who blur the lines between biblical faith and cultural acceptance. They embrace cultural values with the belief that being like culture allows them to influence culture. And if they're not careful, what happens is these churches loses, lose their biblical or their Christian distinctive. Example, as a church I read about in Texas... And they were doing a series of messages on the beauty of marriage, okay? So just a wonderful series on the beauty of marriage. And they had a message in, in the series, and the title of the message was Sex Experiment, okay? Sex Experiment. So it's going to get just a little bit, you know, here we go. We're going to go through this, a little risque. The action step for this series, okay, the action step at the end of this message that they gave, which, by the way, the pastor gave in, his, in a bed with his wife in bed, sex experiment, is that the action step was that they would call for every married couple to have sex every day for seven days. That was the action step. Tough luck if you're single, right? If you're going to that church, tough luck. The whole goal was to just to lift up the beauty of sex. And as beautiful as sex is, I think there's better ways <laughs> that we can do that. There has to be. I, I just believe that this church had gotten confused about what it means to be culturally relevant. So what happens in churches that are of culture 
is that they're trying to make the gospel message relevant to culture, but the problem is, is that they're bending so far toward culture that you can't tell the difference, and they've lost their Christian distinctive. Okay, those are the first three ways I think that are, you're going to see that those are not the way we want to do it, right? We got that? Those are not the way we want to do it. So there's a fourth way, and I want to say that's our goal. Our goal at Twin Cities Church is to create a movement of people who see themselves as being a church for culture. Phrase, for culture. For culture. This comes directly out of the teaching of God's word, okay? So the others were, you know, you could take, there's some things in the Bible you could say they got that from, but this is directly from the teaching of God's word. And God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And so he was giving the prophet Jeremiah, through the prophet Jeremiah, he was giving instructions to his people on how they would, you know, live in a culture that was against God and against all of God's ways. So he's writing to a group of captives. Uh, the nation of Israel had been taken captive. They've been taken into Babylonia. And so they're with their Babylonian ca uh, captors. And so the goal of Babylonian captors was we'll bring these folks in, and then our culture will so influence them that they'll just become like us over time. Their goal was to influence, get this, influence God out of them, and over time get them to assume the values of the culture until, into which they'd been placed. And by the way, that's increasingly, I'd say, what we see today in our culture. As culture, I would say today, is doing its best to eliminate God and eradicate Christian values from having influence. So this is what God says to his people. So you can see him right there in these verses from Jeremiah 29. God called them to live in a culture. Here's how he says, this is how you live in a culture that's dead set against me and my ways, he says. Okay, he says this. Underline some words as we go. Seek the peace, underline that, and prosperity, underline that, of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord your for it, because if it prospers, underline that, you too will prosper, underline that as well. Now, okay, just let me tell you a little bit about those words we underlined. So that word prosperity, prosper, it comes from a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is shalom. So that they would experience shalom, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. God wants us to live in a way that all of culture benefits and experiences his shalom, the taste of what it's like. That word peace, peace is from a Hebrew word, and translated, it could have been translated as human flourishing or universal flourishing, so that we would, by the way we live, show people how that you can experience shalom, and then as we live together, we would experience universal or human flourishing. So God told his people to plant themselves into culture and live in such a way while you're in culture, they're for culture, that the people experience shalom and they experience this universal or human flourishing because we're part of it. Because we're part of it. We're not just in it. You know, we're not just um, against it. We're not just of it, but we're for it. We're in culture. God told them to buy homes, God told them to plant crops, establish business, enter into the very fabric of the world in which they had been placed so that they could influence culture, so that they could bring shalom with them and they could bring human flourishing as they go into the neighborhoods in which they live. Isn't that just a beautiful picture of what God's called us to do and be as a church? Instead of being influenced by culture, he had said, I want you to be the ones who influence culture. I want you to influence them. So God called his church to be a people of influencers who, get this, give 
more to culture than they take from culture, to give more than they take. See, folks, get to know this. Culture's not here for our welfare. We, have, we need to know that. It's not here for our welfare. We are here for the welfare of culture. We are here to serve and to give and to love. Okay, so that was what God's word was to his people who were in captivity underneath the Babylonians. And I, I don't know if you noticed there, but it said God's the one that sent them there. You, it wasn't the Babylonians that took them there, but God was actually part of the process of them being put into a foreign culture so that there'd be opportunity for his word to be spread. Well, just fast forward a couple hundred years, several hundred years, actually. Fast forward, Jesus is on the scene. God's people are once again under the oppression of a foreign government. It happens to be the Romans. And so as Jesus is talking to his people, he says, here's how you are to live underneath the oppression of this foreign government. He says these words in Matthew 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt is lost, it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he could have said, let your good deeds shine out so that those around you would be able to experience what it's like to know shalom, and then they would be able to know and walk in human, human flourishing. He could have said those words. He says, you are the salt of the world. You, my people, you, you bring flavor to the world. You make it taste better. You bring light to the world. Where there's darkness, you illuminate the goodness, the goodness that's there. Just by, get this, just by your presence and just by your activity and just by your influence, you don't have to give in to culture. You can influence and change culture because of the way you live. So you're here, every one of you're here. Not to be influenced by culture. And this is just kind of the warning, just a warning word right here. Not to be influenced by culture. We're here to influence culture. But I'm just going to say this. It will only happen by a strategic choice that you make. And the choice is that you would live in such a way that you truly bring salt. And you would live in such a way that you bring light into darkness. So that those who are around you, who are not yet in God's family, they're able to see in you what it's like to have shalom and human flourishing. That's what you're called to do. In other words, what he's called us to be is he called us to be bridge builders between God and culture. Peter writes about that. He says that you are priests. And one of the good definitions of a priest is a priest is a bridge builder between God and people. And he says, that's what you are. You are my holy priests. That's your calling. Now, the apostle Paul, he knew this to be true. And he gave this inside glimpse into his strategy, which is also very insightful. That could be our strategy as well. He says this. It's a long, he said many things, but this is just kind of the last part and the synopsis of what he said. He says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So what he's saying here is this. He's saying, I found a way. 
I found a way to be relevant to the people of the culture in which I live. God placed me here to build a bridge between culture and God so that people can walk across. God placed me here for that reason, so that all those who don't know God personally, don't know Jesus personally and individually, can choose to know him. And he says this, in order to do that, I have to be relevant. I have to be relevant. Now, I just want to, you know, some of you, you hear, you hear me, you're like, you're squirming a little bit, because you're like, cultural relevance, Ron, you're going to lead us down the wrong path, and you're going to lead us wherever, you know, over here, and we won't be distinctive, and it's really squirming. It really is squirming. It really is. It's, a, it's kind of a balance that we have to walk as we do this. But I want to say this. Being relevant is not saying this. It's not saying compromise to reach people. Now, that's not rele- what relevance is. Being relevant is to saying, as Paul did, strategize to reach people. Strategize to reach them. Reach them in a way that they can understand. Like I said, some of us get pretty uncomfortable about this idea because we think that being culturally relevant is compromising the faith, that all of a sudden we've been church-liked. But that's not it at all. What it really means is that I changed the way I share my faith. I still have my faith. I still have my convictions. But I changed the way I share that faith. And folks, I'll just say it this way. You can be both culturally relevant and biblically sound at the same time. You can do both, but it takes a constant effort and it takes constant vigilance. And I'll just add this. It takes lots and lots and lots of prayer. It takes lots and lots of prayer. So I'm going to give you four ways at Twin Cities we're trying to be relevant and how we're trying to share in a changing culture, the unchanging truth, okay, uh, that we're going to stand on. First is this. In order to be relevant, we are teaching God's unchanging word, okay? So you just, you heard me right there. We're not going to compromise God's word, right? And I believe that by teaching his word is the best way to be relevant in our culture today, teaching God's word. We're talking about being cultural relevant. We're not talking about being politically correct, okay? We're not talking about watering down the gospel so you can't find it. We're talking about the fact that even... If we are culturally relevant, we must stand on the unchanging truth of God's word, the unchanging truth, because this book, this Bible was written so that we could understand ourselves and God, understand ourselves and God. Now, what's what, what, notice what um, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says this, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, just so you know, this is why... People don't want to read the Bible, okay? The, the, the middle two, especially. The middle two. Rebuking and correcting. How many want to sign up for that, right? I want to be rebuked, okay? Let's get into that line. And some, um, some churches see that as their role, is to rebuke and correct people whenever they see them and everywhere they go. See, folks, God's word, his holiness, never, 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 never changes. No matter how much culture changes, no matter how much we think or feel for other people and their confusion as they live in culture apart from God, God's word never changes. God's word couldn't be more relevant to our culture than it, I think, ever has as we're living today. So this book is alive and it's active. It says about this in Hebrews 4.12. It says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It says it penetrates and it divides the soul and the spirit, 
joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is the value of this book in your life. This is why I say this. We unapologetically teach God's word every time we're here. This is why we put such such strong emphasis on you having a Bible in your home that you can read, that you can study, that you can take portions of it, and you can actually memorize, that you follow the teachings of this book. Our goal is to teach the unchanging word of God. We know that the Bible is relevant to our world. As fast as everything continues to change around us, one thing is true. People will change. God's word never changes. Culture will change. God's word never changes. But here's the beauty of this. When you read the Bible, it actually shows us the character of people, the nature of people, and how people actually never change. You read the Bible. We've got the same problems today we've had since the fall of humanity. Many of the same problems. People in the Bible, if you read it, struggle with the same things people struggle with today. They struggle with, and read it, sexual temptation, adultery, murder, deceit, cheating, war, abuse, corruption, betrayal, list goes on. All in the pages of the Holy Bible. As it shows us what life is like, what people are like. Everything we struggle with today in our culture is in the Bible. The Bible couldn't be more relevant today than it, I think in any time. It's timeless. And our goal is to teach the unchanging word of God to us. Second is this. We are sharing God's unchanging love. We're sharing God's unchanging love. Let's go right to the verses that really speak about his love that needs to be shared. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. A couple of Christmas Eves ago, we talked about this verse, and we talked about that, that just, that, how powerful that word whoever is for all the whoever's in the world, because we're all a whoever. It's available to us. God's love is there. So if we're going to be able to share God's love, because that's what people really need to experience is his love, and I just want to share some things um, that I put under this, this bullet point just because I wanted to make sure I got to talk about them today. But I'm going to share some things that we know to be true if we're going to be able to share God's unchanging love with a changing world. And so the first thing is this, is I want us all to understand this as we, as we talk about this idea of being relevant. Our methods must change, but our message never will. Our methods must change, but our message never will. Our message will always, mission never will, or message. But our message is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That will never change. Now, I know that you've heard this phrase, contemporary church. You've heard that phrase? Anybody heard that phrase? Contemporary church? Well, listen, I just want to kind of talk about this a moment. All churches are contemporary. Every church out there is contemporary. Some of them are just contemporary to ages past. Ooh! (laughs) But they're all contemporary. All churches are culturally relevant. Some of them are just culturally relevant to a time in the past. They don't speak to today. See, we need to understand, folks, that we can't do church the way we've done it for the last 500 years or 100 years, or this is where I'm deeply challenged right now, personally. We can't do church the same way we did 26 years ago when we started. 
we have to change methods. I've been doing a lot of talking with um, people of different ages, a lot of studying, because we want to be a multi-generational church, right? Well, guess what age we're heavy in right now? Let's look around. So in order for us to be multi-generational, we need to really be thinking about those who are in minority here. And we need to be thinking about how can we reach. And then the whole idea then is that those of us who are here in the majority, we'd be thinking about, I'm, I'm willing to give up, I'm willing to give up, I'm willing to give up so that I can reach those who are coming in the next generation. See, we must change our methods if we're going to be able to communicate God's unchanging truth to a multi-generational culture. What worked 26 years ago, I'm not the same as I was. Thank God for that, right? But I'm not the same as I was 26 years ago. We don't do church the same way we did 26 years ago. It's totally different now. This is why we have to continue to look for current methods and listen to culture and dig into an exegete culture so we know what it means to communicate a timeless message to people who come from multi-generations as we come together. Second thing is this. We must be strong in belief and weak in preference. Strong in belief and weak in preference. See, a lot of church conflict simply comes from a conflict of preference, not a conflict of belief. Now, I heard this phrase given to us at, when we were dropping Jordan off at college a few weeks ago. And so we were dropping her off at college, and they did this awesome presentation about they wanted to paint for us the picture of what graduates who finished this college would be like and that they would be world changers. And so they explained this, that they, they're explaining this, that their job, their role as they thought was to produce graduates who could think critically and biblically at the same time, both critically and biblically. Folks, we cannot be culturally relevant and culturally ignorant at the same time. We must exegete culture the same way we exegete scripture so that we can apply scripture to culture. We can't be just people who know the Bible. We can't just be that. And who can, we have to be people who know the Bible and then can speak the Bible in language that people of culture can understand and comprehend as they can experience God's love for them. We believe that we can be, I said it earlier, culturally relevant and biblically sound at the same time. It just takes concern. It takes compassion for those who don't yet know Jesus. And folks, just know, we've been called for such a time as this to express God's love in a way that people can understand and comprehend. Why I said it for, you know, for, I think I said this for 25 years of the 26 I've been here, is that we will not stop what we're doing until every person within our reach has an, had an opportunity to hear a well articulated presentation of Jesus Christ in a way they can comprehend and understand, and then has the freedom to say yes or no. So our mission's never ended. As we go through this, it's never ending. Okay, third idea. I'm going to run on a little bit. Third is this. We are serving God's unchanging mission. We are serving God's unchanging mission. So if we are going to be a church that's relevant, we must become a church where everybody serves, where everyone serves. I don't know if you can imagine with me what it would be like if everyone who came here serves. I think one of the dangers is that um, when we were trying to make sure that our you know, building and then the rooms in our building would 
uh, be culturally relevant and use language that culture can understand is that we call this an auditorium. And you know, one of the dangers I realized of an auditorium is when people come to an auditorium, what do they come to do? Be entertained. They come to watch. They come to judge. They come as critics. They come just to say, what are you going to do for me? And so that's a danger. And so uh, even though I still think auditorium is, is a good term for people to be able to understand, uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I think that a better term would be that this is a sanctuary. And what happens in a sanctuary is a place of rest. It's a place of peace. It's a place where I get to be healed. I come to wholeness. I'm revived. But if that's what this place is going to be, it's going to take every one of us being involved, every one of us serving in some way. Look at these verses from Romans 12. Paul says this, they're all together, okay? It's one sentence here. Paul's the master of run-on sentences. This is a shorter one for him. He says, never be lacking in zeal. So it's, we want to be zealous about this, but keep your spiritual fervor so it's not something that is coming from within us. It's what God's actually doing through us, serving the Lord. He wants us to serve him. So I want to tell you why we all want to serve together at Twin Cities. We have two phrases we use, and just wanted you to have these under your belt and be able to understand them, is that you want to serve because we are together, we are creating irresistible environments, irresistible environments. So what we do is we work to make sure that every environment that someone comes to that has Twin Cities label on it is done so well that it's so irresistible. While I'm there, then I look around, I think, oh my gosh, these people can't believe they, they care about something so much to make this so irresistible. And really, we care about them and that they would have an experience that touches their soul and touches their heart. And then as their soul and heart is touched, that they would say, I want more of this. I want more of this. You know, we come, many of us come out of a tradition where church was just same old, same old. You know, you come every week, same old thing. Nobody cared about the color. Nobody cared about the carpet. Nobody cared about how the quality. Nobody cared about the fact that it was excellent. But you know what? God asks for excellence out of us. And he wants us to be involved in serving so that we can create these irresistible environments. The second is we're engaging together to create inspiring opportunities. Inspiring opportunities. See, we want to do our best, and I'll just say this, within, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So just know it's not about us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit to create opportunities for people to engage in that inspire. Uh, let's have to check the time here and see if I can take this little side road. Uh, that, I'll just tell you about one example. Okay, is our women's retreat that we had last weekend. And uh, there were 127 Twin Cities Women uh, from high school, high school age girls led worship. Amazing experience. Up through some of our more mature saints <laughs> who were there together. We had youngers and olders teaching, youngers and olders leading, and it was the best example I've seen in our church's life of us truly being a multi generational church. And it was inspiring. I mean, I've never, we've never had a retreat that I've seen the, the effects of through social media where people are begging for the next one, signing up as fast as they can for the next opportunity because we gathered together to create an inspiring 
opportunity. But in order for us to do that, we all have to be part. Look at what Peter says. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I want you to go back up there a minute. Underline each of you, each of you, every one of you, every one of you should use whatever gifts you've received. You say, well, I can't do this. Well, what can you do? What God gifted you to do? Every person who's a follower of Jesus has been given a gift. And God's asked you to deploy that gift into service. So we're going to give you an opportunity today as we talk about being relevant in your program. You're going to find this flyer. And it says who we are at the top. We are serving together. I'm going to ask if you'd grab this out just for a minute. And, you know, a lot of you, you come every week and you just watch and you leave. Uh, you might drink coffee and you might talk to somebody, but you've not yet engaged in serving. And so I want to give you opportunities. And so you look at this sheet. These, get, these are like um, shallow end opportunities, okay? Just list them that way. And so there's you know, opportunities for you to explore. I want you to look at this. And I just love it if you'd pick one today. I'm going to ask you if you'd just pray about it and you'd pick one. You know, so I'm not asking you if you're already serving that you pick one more, okay? Did you hear me? If you're already serving, I didn't ask you to pick one more. So this heads up. You, I just ask you to pick one if you're not serving. And so... Uh, and that you would turn this in at the end of our service time together today. And you look through there, you can be part of guest services, you can be part of groups and spiritual growth, facilities care, helping with our students, our next generation, our children, community impact, care, worship arts, and special needs. Um, the care part, I just want to highlight, is that we've started doing, we've done two now, special needs dances here. Oh my word, the testimonies and stories I'm hearing from that. Just amazing as we're able to help a whole segment of our community come here and be able to dance with abandon and have such a great time together. So there's just all, all kinds of ways that you could be involved. I want to encourage you with something else. Don't check 20 boxes. That's just a diversionary tactic, okay? Because 20 boxes, you know what you, that means you're not going to pick anything. Uh, also, when it comes down to uh, filling out your name, make sure it's legible. That's another diversionary tactic. You know, just write it so nobody can read it. No, oh, they never called me. Oh, I'm off. <laughs> and connect with you. And I promise we'll do our best. And we're not perfect. Remember, we're an imperfect place. We'll do our best to, to get back to you and help you find a place where you can experiment, where you can serve, where you can be involved. And just want to make sure you have an opportunity. Um, and so I'm just going to give you the next minute or so that you can look this over. And if you're a guest today, you can sign up too. We'd love to have you. One of the best ways to get to know a church is to get involved with the people there. So if you're a guest, we'd love to have you. You can jump right on in. Another aspect of care is the 
memorial team that does such an amazing job of bringing care to people when they are in grief through the memorials we get to do here. And if you want to run into me a lot, you sign up for Coffee Bar, okay? <laughs> oh, there you go. So if there's no sign-ups today, I kind of need to check my breath, I bet. Okay? Love to have you sign up. Love to have you find a place where you can serve in some way. Okay, last idea is this. Last idea. We are striving to be relevant by embracing God's unchanging purpose. Unchanging purpose. And I'm just going to briefly talk about this, and I'm going to pick right back up with this next week when we talk about being relentless. If you want to be relevant in your culture, if you want to be relevant to your world, if you want to be relevant to your friends, if you want to be relevant in your workplace, the number one thing you have to do is you have to be transformed by God. You personally have to be changed. You have to become the evidence. You have to become the witness. You have to become the example. You have to become the one who is experiencing shalom. You have to become the one who's experiencing human flourishing or universal flourishing. You have to be the one. You have to be the one who's becoming like Jesus, becoming like him. That's what Paul says. He says in Colossians 3.10, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and then underline this, and become like him, and become like him. We want to become like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Put on your new nature and become like him. If you want to make a difference in this world, you must allow yourself to enter into the process. And I'm just going to say this. It's not easy of becoming like God. Enter into the process of becoming like Jesus. Enter into the process of allowing him to transform you. Take where you are today. Remember the real. I can only be where I am today. Take where you are today and allow him to do what he wants to do into your life to embrace the change, to embrace the process, to embrace the heat, to embrace the discomfort so that he can layer by layer by layer by layer by layer take off what isn't like Jesus. Shave it off so that you look more and more like Jesus in your life. That's what we have to do. Dallas Wilder was asked one time, he says, what is the purpose? What's our purpose? And he says, here's your purpose. You have to help people know who they are, whose they are, and why they're here. Who they are, whose they are, and why they're here. And we are here to become like Jesus so that our lives give glory to God forever and ever and ever. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this subject. I never knew as I started it would take me to places it did. And the place it did in my own heart to be the person that you want me to be. And Lord, I just pray today that each one of us would be willing today that there's one prayer I think I would ask each of us to pray and that prayer would be that Lord make me more like Jesus 
make me more like Jesus. So that I can, as I go through my everyday life, I can show others. I can stand out. The fruits of the Spirit would be evident in me. And if you're here and you've heard the message today, the message of Jesus, I just want to ask you, and you've never said yes to him before, there's been some reason, uh, either the church, it's whatever, you just said no, today I want to ask you to say yes, and you say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, I say yes to you today. I want to embrace your love, I want to receive it because of what you did on the cross for me, and I realize that I don't deserve it, that I have actually sinned against you, and I ask you to cleanse me and make me whole. And I just want to encourage you that when you pray a prayer like that, it's not just a statement. You didn't just get a ticket now to heaven, but you now are entering into a lifetime where he's going to transform you and change you to look like Jesus, look like himself. And God, I pray that as a church that we take this value seriously. Seriously, God. Because if there's ever a time that culture needs us, it's now. That we'd stand out for you. I just thank you, Jesus, and for the power that you want to do in us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.